You are now listening to the Superhero Education Podcast, featuring Professor Eugene Pitchford and Dr. Steve Gurner. We are real educators tackling the real topics in education. Listen to be informed, inspired, and entertained. With no further ado, here are your hosts to the Superhero Educators Podcast. All right, we want to welcome everyone to the latest edition, Superhero Education Podcast. Guess what, y'all? We got Lakeisha Myers back for another show, round two. Like, we just couldn't get rid of her. Steve, uh, first show was so good, we, like, we had to bring her back in because uh, there's another important topic that we want to talk about. But Steve, you just said before we went on air that you learned a lot from the last show. Why don't you just tell the listeners the one thing that stood out to you? EP3, she, Lakeisha is a historian. She's yes. a, a politician, teacher. So you, yes. you, you get every time at Lakeisha, you get this, you get a principled opinion, but you also get the history and the context wrapped around in it. So I, I feel like I'm learning every, every time uh, we have the chance to be around Lakeisha and, and we can agree, disagree, but you're always learning valuable points and always learning it, the context, the history and where it evolves from there. So we are thrilled you're here with us. Lakeisha Myers, Wisconsin State Representative. Hello, Lakeisha. Hello there. Happy to be here again with you guys and happy to share what I know. And we're happy that you hanging out with us going over time here. Um, Lakeisha, I don't know if we did this well enough on the first show, but but tell us what you do, if you want, professionally on both sides or however you want to, whatever, whatever you want people to know, share it with us right now on just politically and anything okay. after that. Um, I consider myself first and foremost an educator. I've been a classroom teacher for, I guess, well, I should say I've been an educator because I've been a classroom teacher um, an administrator for about 16 years um, altogether um, and was first elected to the state assembly in 2018, started serving in 2019. So I'm in the middle of my second term as a state representative in the state of Wisconsin and also currently serve as an assistant principal. When should, when, like, when do you, when is the reelection process like? Is that two years from now? No, my re-election is this summer. So I, we have a primary in August, should I have to go through the primary process, uh, but for sure in November. Oh, okay. And then we begin again, new session starts in January. So it's a, it's a four-year term? Two years each time. So we run oh, every okay. two years. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, cool, cool. Well, we brought you back because there, there's another hot topic in, in Southeastern Wisconsin, but it's a con the concept it's kind of floating around in school places all across the country and even not in not just education just a lot of businesses are floating this idea around and and I like to call it like the four day work week four day school week right four way whatever you want to call it and and it means different things to different organizations mm -hmm. but recently in Milwaukee there's a young lady Aisha Carr, that kind of got the ball rolling on the conversation. Yes, she did. And I'm going to let you take it from there. 
So Aisha Carr is a school board director with Milwaukee Public Schools in District 4, and she um, proposed that the school district have a feasibility study for a four-day work week for students. Um, this is not something that's a foreign concept um, in education. It's being done in California. It's being done in other school districts across the country where students have, it's not a foreign concept to MPS, uh, quite frankly, because there was um, a school that was built around this model, the New School for Community Service, uh, which closed in, I think, 2017 or 2018. And I want to say that uh, New School may have been an instrumentality charter school. I'm not for certain if it was or if it was just a smaller school model um, that existed within Milwaukee Public Schools. But Anyway, the four day work week model would allow students to have academic instruction uh, four days out of the week, but also allow them to have a swing day, which would be a time for them to get academic interventions, a time for students to have um, outside work placements um, for those students that are engaged in work experience credit to have more time to get those credits and also have students who are able to do community service because service learning is a part of the curriculum. Um, so you have a lot of different things that could happen. It also worked as a day for teachers to have built-in professional development in the calendar. The four-day work week model that um, was, you know, proposed to be discussed. Now, mind you, this was not a plan that was already put in place. Um, Director Carr was trying to open the door for conversation with the community to devise a plan on what the four-day work week model would look like at different levels of education, elementary, middle high school, um, what it would look like, what the needs would be, um, you know, for students in the district to implement a model like this. Um, so this is just opening the door of conversation. This uh, went to the, um, what's called the SASE committee. The, it's a committee of the school board. I believe it's four members of the school board that are members on this committee. Um, and it was voted down, the feasibility study itself was, was voted down. And I was upset by that. And a lot of people in the community were upset by it as well, because this was the first time that I can remember in all of my engagement and interaction with Milwaukee Public Schools, and this goes back to 1987, of having a school board director actually take information that they have learned uh, on the campaign trail and, and with communities and try to sit down and come up with a plan to even open the door to, to kind of reimagine what schooling looked like for students in the district. And that was the part that was disappointing for me because here you have a, a young school board director, um, a person that has classroom experience. Uh, director Carr is a teacher by trade and, and a former MPS educator at that and trying to come together to bring all groups and all stakeholders together so they are no longer silos of information happening, but everybody come together and figure out what could be our next step, because we know we have work to do and, and what this could look like. So that was one of the things that I um, believed was, um, was, was disheartening about the committee vote. So I know that she, does, she plans to continue with this process and wants to continue engaging all stakeholders so that this uh, you know, process, the conversation, the door, has to remain open because I think there are a lot of things that we could learn from doing a feasibility study about a four-day work week in NPS. I like, I like the innovation idea going, we have to do something 
right? So let's let's study some ideas. Let's imagine Listen, some we things. Had, we, we had a whole uh, under, uh, who was the last superintendent? I believe it was. Uh, they had a whole department called innovation, okay? Yeah. They had a whole department called innovation in the school district. And now we have more better innovation coming from a school board director on the outside trying to get something happening. So that's what I want to put in place to, to have folks understand too. And understanding that this is not, again, a foreign concept for the district because um, when we had the pandemic, I was teaching during the pandemic. And that was the first time that all of the high schools in Milwaukee were on the same schedule, on the exact same schedule. But it was done out of necessity because of the pandemic and we were doing virtual instruction. But Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, all high schools operated on the same academic schedule. Students had their classes for, we had about 45 minute, 55 minute classes. Um, and then you had um, Wednesday, students checked in for advisory, but also had the ability to have office hours all day long with their instructors. When I tell you that worked well for me as a teacher, it was the first time I was able to actually flip my classroom, if you will, to have a real flipped classroom concept and have students um, be able to do school in a way that made sense to them. Because during the pandemic, I had a lot of students who were helping the family economy and were working. So I had students checking in for work during regular class time because they were working. And then they were able to you know, check in with me on that Wednesday and say, hey, can I make an appointment with you? Just drop in, hey, Dr. Myers, I need help with this. I need, can you go back and explain what we talked about in class? I looked at the PowerPoint where you had the lesson. I looked at the video of your lesson and I missed this part. I didn't really understand this or that. So it was a lot more interaction between students and it was on their terms because they had more ownership in the process. They had ready and available access because of the internet. And it was something that I really enjoyed. It was something that gave them more ownership throughout the entire process versus the traditional way of you have to be in class at this particular moment. There was no alternative um, you know, where you didn't have a recorded lesson if you missed it or, you know, all of these things. So we had everything at their fingertips and I was getting homework at midnight and two o'clock in the morning after kids had gotten off work, but they were doing the work and it was correct. <laughs> so because they had the opportunity to answer those questions and have access to their instructor outside of just a traditional school day. And I think that's what made the biggest difference. Yeah. And that we know as educators. So when you're inside, you know, the outside, it's always tough to know what's happening in education because they simplify it. They go, well, how hard is it? You're talking to, you're talking to students. You got a workbook. How hard is it? it? But we know how complex, how difficult it is, how, how stressful it is when you're inside and you're doing great work for all students. The, the problem I have, I love the innovation. I love action over inaction. The optics and the terminology is what I think stalls people because from the outside, they go four a day and they go, well, now it becomes a, the teachers. And now I'm going to bash teachers because it I, I'm not happy with where I'm working. So I'm not finding satisfaction. So how, how in the world's going to teach her? So it becomes a teacher bashing. So I like the idea if, if uh, director Carr would have called me up, I would have said, I love the, 
the concept of, of what you're trying to do, teacher retention, teacher success, recruitment, getting the best and the brightest to come to Milwaukee Public Schools. We just got to change the name uh, and call it That's something else true. That, that'll capture people. Very true. Um, I look at it like, um, and, and this is going to be, you know, people say whatever it is. Um, when I told folks that I really didn't like the term defund the police, because it was the buzzword, it took off and it meant something else to folks, whereas I understood it to mean, you know, you know, reallocate funding that you use yeah. for reactive policing into, you know, programs so you don't need police in the beginning. Perfect, you perfect know, comparison. Perfect comparison. So when people heard, and that's exactly what happened uh, in the last few weeks, is that when it was presented and, you know, it presented in the media, people said, oh, four-day work week, what? Parents were alarmed, especially elementary parents, because they're like, well, we have to deal with daycare. I'm like, that's not what this is. Read what the feasibility, read the proposal and see what it asks for. It's not telling you that you will no longer have a place for your child to go one day a week. And that was immediately where some folks' minds mm. went. They immediately went to, well, now I have to pay for daycare and whatever, That's which where is my a real, mind went. I'm like, no lie to you. That's the first like, thing what? I thought of. Uh-uh. They need to be in school. And then people who are not educators that but are parents, and people are like, these kids need to be in school every day and they need to be in school long, but not even understanding that the proposal said we're going to extend the school day. Yeah. Four days of the week. That sells. That sells. Yeah, we're going to extend the school day to make the school day longer four days out of the week. And then actually make sure that students are uh, getting additional hours of instruction to put in place this, you know, the swing day or something like that. So I think part of it is (laughs) lack of ownership on the the role of the consumer to me, Mm. because you, you you have to have some of that, too. We cannot go off half cocked and make uninformed opinions because we heard the first two or three words of the proposal. You didn't read it. You don't know what she's talking about. So, I mean, people were in the comment section, you know, doing what they do and, and having these fully formed debates on online. And it's like, but it's not what it say. That's not what it says at all. Um, that's not what she's trying to do at all. So I think that part um, was something that, that needed to happen. And I think that comes with continuing to push for a feasibility study, continuing to rally and, 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 and get parents and students mobilized to understand what she's trying to do. I also think it has great political implications because if you, the district is not doing anything to combat what we talked about in the previous show, uh, which is you know the state trying to dictate and, and, and possibly break up the district. So if you are doing nothing and you always wanna be on the reactive end, that's not gonna help. So at least you have a school board director that's saying, hello, I understand that this could help. Why not help me help you? <laughs> Let's help each other so that we can do something good for the district. And I think that's what makes a big difference. And that's the problem I, I see with, with the, uh, and this is, is most urban districts, but the idea of articulating out, you're going to need teachers. You have to become the destination district. And if you articulate out, Anybody across the country, if you come into Milwaukee, not only is it a great city, great state, but we're going to tell you what it means to be a teacher here. That means Monday, here's what ideal day will look like. Tuesday, ideal day. Wednesday, ideal day. Thursday, Friday. Set that up. 
and then say to parents and everything, the benefit of being in a district is we're going to extend the learning. You're, we're going to push so hard that you're successful. Why? Because we love you and we want, we, we want you. We almost guarantee that you're going to be successful because we're working by getting the best teachers here. And then also here's what your day looks like. And then name it something that, that articulates that out. But you're right. The district's going to have to be a player in that. The district most definitely has to be a player in it. And let me be honest and forthright. The teachers union has to be a player in it too. Good point. Good point. Yeah. And and, and what I have seen, what I have seen is that this particular group has often been on the wrong side of certain issues that deal with education. I'll be frank. Mm -hmm. And that's something that cannot happen this time around. This is time for people to put egos aside put, um, you know, personal, you know, vendettas, trip ups, whatever it is. I don't like Eugene because he has dark hair. I don't know, whatever it is, or he said something I didn't like, or we disagree on one or two issues. When the overall issue is, if you're trying to help your district survive, and you're trying to continue to help the students in that district, you have to learn how to evolve. And a lot of times we have gotten complacent and it's time to disrupt the apple cart and turn it over and, and kind of get rid of the uh, level of apathy that has, that has become the norm. And I think trying to do things that we've currently done, I always tell people, you can't, we're still trying to operate. And this is not just MPS, this is across the country. People are still trying to do school like we did school in 1955. You Correct. cannot do school in 2022 like you did in 1955. It's not going to work. So, and it's not working. So, so Lakeisha, up to this point, I think I agree and disagree with you at the same time. Okay. Like you, you use the point to which I think can go either side. So here, here would be my, here would be the one pushback I would have to what you just said. I'm, I hear what you're saying about unions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I hear that conversation, but I could also show you a whole bunch of schools that don't have unions. Mm-hmm. And there's no innovation. Oh, absolutely. Ab- no, 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 absolutely. And the reason I only brought up the union piece is because in Milwaukee, we still have a strong teachers union, even sure. after, you know, you know, collective bargaining across the state and Act 10 and everything that's happened. The, the teachers union is still a solid union. It oh, still has, has, has quite a few members. And, and, and rightly so. I believe in people having the ability to collectively bargain. I was a member of the teachers union when I was a teacher. I'm a member of the American Federation of Teachers right now. So I'm just looking at it from the, from the perspective of mobilizing your membership and educating them. That's what the role yes. of the teachers union is and should be. They mobilize on issues. When it was time for us to do a, uh, to have a referendum a couple of years ago, MTEA was very involved in the process of trying to get the public to understand. It was a widespread public information campaign. They worked hand in hand with the district and members of the school board to educate the public on why it was important for us to raise a referendum in MPS. You work together then, work together now, because this is almost as imp- just as important. If you don't, if you want your members to still have a paycheck that says Milwaukee Public Schools, you better try to do something to no. save your district and improve your district. This is not a time to, you know, be coy and, and you know, be petty. And right. that's but, when I see a lot happening. Okay, so I, and, and I, okay, so I think I, 
I hear you. Uh-huh. And I st- and I didn't give you the butt, but uh-huh. and I Steve and I talk about this all the time. The reason we know each other, because we all went camping mm-hmm. at a certain place. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. The place to where you should have innovation. Zilch. It's True. tradition. It's the way it's this tradition. I think it's nationally, nationally, yes. Even when you're looking at schools that or or people that work in systems where they do not have collective, because in the South, you have virtually no collective bargaining and you still have issues with innovation in those districts. So I think, and I think there are things that we have to look at when we do school nationally, there has to be more input from educators. Going back to my point about everybody being a politician that Steve always says, I say, teachers have to become advocates. And whatever your role is in that process, if you're a representative of any body of educators or if you are an educator yourself, you have to be willing to educate yourself and understand the politics of what it is that you do. Okay, so let me say it differently. So I I think you're saying the same thing in a different way. Okay. Daycares aren't innovative. K-12s aren't innovative. Higher ed, not innovative. Steve and I argue about this all the time. Public, private, urban, suburban, union, non-union, charter, uh, school inside of a church. There's just an overall lack of innovation, like across the board, like, like we're at, like we're. Until you agitate in some way. And usually the agitator is government or a some type of political force. Because when you look at the role of government and with all those entities that you just talked about, daycare. When I hear from daycare providers, it's because we had a bill two years ago that wanted to expand, uh, what was it? Expand early childhood to three years, or expand school age to like three years old. They were up in arms because they make most of their money off three and four-year-olds. That's when early childhood educators got mobilized and started making phone calls. When you got ready to poke the bear and upset the apple cart. And then you start to peel back the layers of why there may be no innovation or what the, or or what the issues are. One of the things that we found out in that particular instance was that even at the state level, daycare falls under a total different umbrella than K through 12 education. Sure. Daycare is run basically by, um, what is it? DCF. Sure. So when those individuals get their payments, they were talking about different things than we were talking about. So the, the, the licensing aspects are different, all of those things. But when you talk about comprehensive K-12 education and even going to K-16, to uh, we're looking at colleges and how you know, they are marketed, uh, you know, how we operate, all of that, that usually comes under public instruction and is done through what in Wisconsin would be DPI or even the Board of Regents. And who basically runs the Board of Regents? The state. 
So you look at, you know, you know, from that particular perspective, dollars come out of different pots, people, you know, all of those. So the level of innovation that you have um, can often be stifled. Can I, can I say this? Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I meant to text Dr. Garner about this last week. So I want to like, we joke around, we tease each other a lot. And we probably don't acknowledge we're talking about innovation. We probably don't acknowledge innovation enough, even when it's in our face. Yeah. So I was at a, a, a meeting last week, Dr. Garner. Well, you know about this. Well, you, maybe you don't. I, I was at a meeting last week and they brought up Evelyn's room. Okay, sure. Smart lab. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you Did I tell you about this last week? You didn't. You did oh, not. Okay. I did not? Did not. Okay, so they were talking about, you know, Dr. Garner wrote this grant. He researched it. Um, you know, um, we, uh, the, the university saw like the levels were going up and needed a, additional ways to, to try to bring it down or to deal or to manage. And, and, um, and they like brought up Gurner, 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 Gurner did this, did this. And you know what? He's also now trying to get more funding into, to upgrade it. And, and when the massage chairs go get a little messed up because it's constantly in use. He's trying to secure more, more funding. Man, let me give you your flowers on air right now. <laughs> like, like, like we joke around and stuff, but that's pretty significant. And, like, and I never told you like personally how big of a deal that is knowing the opposition to it and knowing how, but well, we don't want to make it look this way and this way. And you're like, no, if it's going to get done, it's got to get done this way. Man, I, I got to tell you, like it was, it's been on my mind since last week, I'm like, and I'm like, if I didn't know who you were, I'm like, who is Dr. Garner? This dude is amazing. You should but still I'm, feel that way, even when you do know me. That should still be your response. <laughs> but, but, but I got to tell you that, and I know that's not part of why we got Lakeisha on here, but, but, like, you got to intake that one. Stop getting ready to talk. Don't say nothing. Yeah. Stop getting ready to talk. Just mm-hmm. intake it for a minute, and Lakeisha, you can just start talking about something. No, I'm just saying you're right, because we don't know the gems that we have in our community that are doing good work in a lot of different buildings. I think it's difficult. And again, going back to the topic we were talking about, this four day work week, professional development for educators is a part of that. One of the reasons that Marva Collins and uh, Dr. Lorraine Monroe were successful in building the crop of educators that they did was because their methodologies were taught through professional development. If you have no time to teach the teacher, the teacher will continue to do the same thing because it's not broken and they usually don't try to fix it. After a certain wavelength that you have, you're like, okay, well, you know, your innovation needs to be spurred. You need to figure out how to do something else. I watched teachers and saw what worked for them for classroom management and then decided to adopt the parts that I could and then utilize and add my own flavor to it. And then you kind of develop, you know, we tell people to develop their teacher voice or develop or develop the tools, put your own spin on something that you saw, something that I remembered. Okay. Using a treasure box in class, something I did all the time because I saw it done and it worked well. So when my students would come to class, First person in class, you got a ticket. I had a roll of tickets I just walk around with. So kids who pay, were, you know, paying attention, doing whatever it was, every couple, you, you know, few students got tickets. At the end of class, we had a drawing. 
two or three names were drawn, you won something out of the treasure box. Worked well for me for years. Right. But I had seen it done and it was modeled for me in a way that I said, oh, I, I can probably do that. That'll work for me. Um, you know, just different, um, you know, choice boards. I didn't know anything about choice boards until I had seen it modeled for me. Having, uh, what was it called when you walk around the, um, goodness, gallery walks, all of those things, different types of activities that worked. Those were taught to me during professional development. I put my own spin on it and it started to work in the classroom to, to help. Even when I started to train teachers, you have to go deeper and observe people doing what they do and try to, you know, that's something that a lot of folks don't, people looked at me crazy when I had my students evaluate me Yeah. in high school. Yeah. They were like, absolutely not. I would never look at what a student says. Say, Kids know good teaching when they see it because they've experienced bad teaching too. Absolutely. And, so and every occupation, every occupation has the people that are going to move and, and do the innovation and move and, and make success happen because there's other teachers that, that saw the same things about the treasure box, the gallery walks, and they're not utilizing it, right? Exactly. So you, you come to the point, and this is the frustration that, that a lot of people have, is you have a, uh, a school board member says, here's, here's an innovation, here's an idea, I'm hearing about this, let's, let's study it more, let's talk about it more. It may be we take a whole different direction once we get more data, or we right. may double down on this other idea. When that's happening, here's what I think. If if the three of us were sitting at whatever, uh, if, if we hear our board members saying that and we're part of the district and we're in a leadership spot, I would say it's up to us three now. I'm hearing this buzz over here from our school board. Let's come up with 10 different innovative ideas. Maybe let's help process that because we know it's coming. To sit idly and hear your, your school board director of the school board say something and you go, we're going to just see what happens. That's what I think is the problem with, with, and I don't think it's just education, but I think we're talking education that you don't do action over inaction, right? That you don't come up with something and say, this is an idea. They're going to study. They're going to talk about it. Let's see where it goes. You know what? Let's come up with our own. Otherwise we become irrelevant. Whether Absolutely. it's, it's an administrator, it's the teacher's union, it's the teachers in the classroom, administrators. You either are relevant network, or you're relevant. It could be a network at a private school. Correct, absolutely, correct. all of it. Yeah, he, he's correct. absolutely correct. But to sit on your hands and correct. do nothing and just wait for something to happen to you is the wrong approach. But Lakeisha, let me ask you <laughs> this. Okay, so when I think of when I was most innovative mm -hmm. in my career. Yes. Right, there were two, there's a one common denominator and the same thing happened twice in my career when I was most innovative. First, as a teacher in middle school. Middle school is great, isn't it? <laughs> was great. But my wife also taught in the building and we were competitive. Okay. So if she got this lesson plan, I'm trying to one-up it. And then she's trying to one up me. And then before you know it, like there's this magic that occurs that's authentic. It ain't fake, it's authentic because we're, we're trying to, cause like if I could outdo her, it was gonna be great for my kids, right? 
so there was a level of just being competitive. Like, okay, I don't want to be the weak link here. I, like, I don't want the, the, the ship to fold to fold because I'm steering now. And the other part was year two and year three at Concordia. Because I got Dr. Garner over there. He doing all this stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, you doing that? Watch this. Let me go to the other side of campus. And I'm a, and then Dr. Garner, what is he doing? Like, uh, he's sitting there like, yeah, I got you. Then he going, now he's taking the stuff off campus. I'm like, okay, well, let me go out the state. Like, so there was this always a level of competition for me. It mm -hmm. was always a level, a level of competition that sparked innovation. And I wonder, and I'm not saying people aren't competitive, but is that the link though? Like, it, like, could that be the link that? For some people, it probably is. And I think in, um, in, in, in my time in the classroom, when you think about being innovative, I wanted to do something that was memorable for my students because it would help them in the long run. Um, teaching social studies to, to kids who were like, why we gotta take this class <laughs> you know, was always not like, no, I really want you to be, you know, passionate about this. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I don't know, you know, about this. So trying to make it fun and make it um, mean something to them and trying to make sure that they understood how it impacted their current life in, right. in, that, in that very moment. So part of it was the competition because when I was working in a middle school, I started off in middle school, just like you. So we worked in teams. So yeah. we were always like parks team is going to be better or the yes. best team in the school. So of course my lessons had to be, you know, top notch or, you know, whatever. So yes, we were having a whole Boston tea party in our classroom and, you know, talking about what happened and kids were reenacting things and being able to explain you know, all of the things that went on. And I worked in Maryland at the time. So it was one of the 13 colonies. So when we got to talking about Maryland, oh, we went all out. It was like state history on steroids. So you are really trying to teach them what was happening during that time period. So yes, competition can help, but I think wanting to be the best at your craft should also come to the forefront as well. Understanding the necessity of what it is that you do should also come to the forefront. So when you talk about innovation, we're talking about innovation on different levels. How, do, how are you innovative when you are the CEO of a district? Do you look at your role in that way? Hmm. So reimagining what the role calls for. I've worked for people who they realize that their role is more than just what's listed on the job description. And it made a difference for me in how they approached their role. How do our school board directors approach their role as school board directors? Do they believe that innovation and thinking outside of the box is a part of the role, or do you just follow the script? That's where we are. So, so two, two quick things. Garner, let me, get, let me get these two quick things in. So, so who's more creative, politicians or teachers? I would say, depending on what the situation is, both can be, but I would always take a teacher's uh, you know, imagination over anybody. Okay. And I want to I want to go back to where we started because we got into some real heavy stuff. As of right now, the exploratory conversation is off the table or like done done or no, not done done. So according to Director Carr, it's not dead in the water. They she is going to continue, and I think this goes to the full board, and there will be a series of conversations and amendments. Um, 
brought to the board at the next general board meeting. So I would have to find out when that is, but um, the conversation has not stopped because there has been a groundswell of community level support for the feasibility study. So I think there's going to be some pressure that is gonna be applied to the individuals that voted no to be like, well, why? Why are we voting no? Because realistically, when you think about uh, the electorate, that's who has to really make this decision. And if the school district does nothing, you may actually turn folks against, you know, what, what you want and have folks then going to say, well, if I wasn't listened to by my own elected school board, I might just suggest going along with what the state wants to do and break up the district. Gotcha. Garner. I think thinking about this conversation, reflecting on it, I'd like to see a job description more and not the job description that we'd say from HR, but a job description for teachers mm -hmm. and just make it more. What does 2022 mean for a teacher? What does it mean for a board member? What does it mean for administrators? Because I think as we're talking about all this, it's going to be necessary. We're in a crisis for the recruitment of teachers. I mean, everybody, yes. it, it's, it is a true crisis. There are not enough high quality teachers for classrooms around our country. It's going to get worse. People are pushing the easy button and going, well, maybe virtual and I'll do that. So people don't understand. And, and, and what we have to is we know the, the stereotype low pay. Um, people think summer's off, low pay, uh, not getting as much respect. So we have to reshift that and make it, make it sexy again in the sense of young people have to see it as a occupation that they go, I'm going to transform lives. It's going to be great, but we have to articulate what that means for them because I think that's where we're getting lost in this too, because it's much like the uh, four day work week. If we don't articulate out what it means, it's people are just going to run with it and what it means. And we're going to need, we're going to need teachers, especially for our larger urban districts. Otherwise we're going to lose out on teachers. And then someone's going to say, let's just do it all virtual. Um, for the large urban areas, because it's just easy. And then we're going to have a greater gap in our country of, of white students and students of color in their achievement levels. And let me tell you, even in a state like Wisconsin, African-Americans only make up 6.4% of the population of the state. So when, and, and minorities probably only about right at 10%, 10 to 11% of the population st totally statewide. So when you look at overall, achievement scores and value and understanding what's happening here. That means white kids ain't learning either. So, when you, so when you look at it and put it into perspective, that's what I try to get people to understand. This is about all kids. It is about all districts across the state. When you look at the disproportionately, what position, what, you know, 25% of people in the state have a bachelor's degree. We have to, become a more learned society, a more learned state. When you look at states, like I always laugh, me and my friends go, well, like, this is not like Massachusetts. Massachusetts, a lot of people, you know, have college degrees in Massachusetts. There's a difference as far as uh, earning potential in a state like Massachusetts or in a place like, um, you know, DC, Maryland, Virginia, in hubs like that, where you see highly educated people, you know, kind of flocking to. That's who we're in competition with. And I think part of that, when we look at our blue collar history as a state, is some of that that we have to think outside of the box. 
it goes back to this innovative conversation, being innovative. Yes, I told you in the 90s that you had to retool, but what does that mean? And did I really give you the, the ability and the options to, to retool? What does that mean? You still have to have some type of post-graduation certificate to operate machinery if you're going to stay in manufacturing. That's a computer-based job now. So understanding that particular aspect as well. So understand that we have to be innovative across the board. So when you look at, you know, trying to look at the haves and the have nots and, and also looking at what we consider poor, working poor, you know, and, and middle class and all of those things, this plays a part in that conversation as well. I love the stress on options because that that's really where it's at. When you talk about jobs, you're right. You have, you can't have the, the, the brain drain, leaving, leaving the state or whatever state you're in. And you also can't direct, you know, there's always that thought too, that people are pushing out there. Well, let's, let's go in our cities and those, you know, there's great, you know, trades and everything else. And, and I go, absolutely. But that's options. Every option that yeah. it should be up to the child. If they can't read or write or do the math, uh, it's going to be hard for them to have options. Any job. Right. Because with the level of math that you have to do, to work in the trades, you know, you have to be able to add, subtract, use a ruler, do all kinds of things, you know, do quick math in your head. The, the, the science that goes in having, into having an agriculture job or, or working outdoors, all of that plays a part together. Yeah. So if you don't have the basic skills to do that, that's when you, I see trouble. Yeah. And we need to articulate that out for all, all districts, not just because otherwise it comes, it becomes why are you saying that the some districts go, they sh- all those students should be in a trade. Other ones, all oh, you should be college prep. And you start going, well, shouldn't that be an option for all, all districts? Yes. Here's, here's where I think it gets a little fishy. At times, Lakeisha, I think educators, and I'm including Steve, myself, you, sometimes I think we politic. You know how you talk about in the other taping, everything's political. Sometimes mm-hmm. I think educators get more political than the politicians. So here's where I'm going with. This. Yes, <laughs> I, I, can, think, I can agree. I think innovation would change. Like to me, it's so simple. There's a there's a there's an educational civil war and there's an educational disconnect in two spots that I think will alter, could have the capability of altering the innovation you two are talking about. Number one, Two spots. Number one, if we can get out of this civil war between public and private schools. Now, there's differences on both sides, pros and cons on both sides. I've worked on both sides. Mm -hmm. Generally want the same stuff, right? You rarely see them collaborating. Right. Seventh grade math is seventh grade math. Right. The best math teacher in a public and private school looks the same. The worst seventh grade math um, teacher looks the same, public and private school. I would, like, if I, if I could change some things, I would have this foundation and platform to bring these teachers together for innovation. That's number one. Let me take you on that number one there. I'd say, who cares? Here's why I say, who cares? What? You just, you mm-hmm. just said before, right? What was it? It was competitive nature. So let the public school or the private school lead the way. So I'm at a public school. 
I'm going to do some math innovation. I'm going to do something that's going to meet so high of standards and success for students that I'm going to force the others to copy me. And then they're going to come into the school and say, we want to do that for our private school and Steve. vice versa. Let the competitive nature of everybody kick in because I may not want to collaborate with, with uh, certain people because think how long that takes to two, three years. Maybe we get some collaborative team and, and conference together. Stephen Arnold Gardner. <laughs> I said, who cares to your first point? You heard me. Let, Stephen Arnold Gardner, let me say something to you. I'm going to give you a dirty little secret in K-12. The public side steals a lot from the private schools. The private schools steal a lot from the public schools. They just wait to see if it works on the other side and then they do it. Perfect. So why collaborate? Speed up the process. I'm saying the we other- We don't have I... time. It's urgency. We don't have time to wait. But let me get to my number two point. Because this one, I know you, if you got pushed back to this one, I'm just going to click and get out of this interview with Lakeisha Mikes. Lakeisha, I don't like your first point. So go to your second one. <laughs> Lakeisha loves it. Like- I'll reserve my comments after your second one. So go that, ahead. Means, that means she loves it. So um, the second one is the disconnect. There's a disconnect between K-12 and higher ed that does not foster collaboration in which you have a whole group of students. Higher ed is not even on their radar. It is because I said it should be, but it's not real. That's right. because, yeah. And, and that's anyway, shame do you on disagree, ed. Steve? Do you disagree? No, I don't disagree with you. I say shame on higher ed because that's their whole role of, of preparing the next group of teachers. Well, well shame on shame on K-12, giving students, here's a list of universities, you go figure it out. Now, luckily I have family members who can help me, who can help me navigate that. And you went to an excellent school, Eugene. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. I don't think you know the story quite well. I know you told me, but I'm still saying. Yeah, yeah, my high school counselor was like, don't apply to college. Right. But you ended up at I ended up because Valley I had, State because you was like, okay, I can get in. Let me go. <laughs> do it. I can, like, yeah, we studied like feasibility. Where can right. I get in? Where can I get in? Yeah. But, I, but I, in my mind, those would be the two spaces that collaboration could produce some powerful work. Absolutely. The second one, I agree with. Absolutely. Yes. I would say um, part of the first one I agree with. I would take it to the point of understanding comfort versus compatibility. And that's where I think we are. When you talked about sometimes teachers becoming um, too political or, or continuing to spur the political, the public, private, the voucher, the whatever, and the, I was the, as guilty as they the, came. The, 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 the sentiment. Guilty. Right, right. And I've told people, I was like, in the state of Wisconsin, our laws are pretty much what they are. I don't see them changing anytime soon. We've had uh, the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program for almost, what, 40 years almost, um, it, it, right at, you know, 35. So when you look at this, it is going to continue. I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. However, when you talk about comfort versus compatibility, that's where I think the, the, the issue is. 
if I'm an educator, I do what I know. It's comfortable for me to know that I'm going to get my paycheck every two weeks. I know my, my, my district is not going anywhere. I have a permanent, you know, government job, if you will, because that's what we are government employees. It's not going anywhere. If I want competition, I can move to another school because I'm the commodity as the educator. That's comfortable for me. The system is put in place for me to be comfortable after a while. Even when you look at how we used to operate with tenure, it's a comfort. I'm keeping, the, the, the system keeps me happy in order for me to continue doing the job. There, it was no incentive for innovation on my part outside of my personal classroom in my personal building, okay? The compatibility aspect is where we are now. Remember I said doing school like 1955 and 2022. These are different children. They have different needs. You cannot operate something as simple as parent-teacher conferences have to be innovative. And when we were made to be innovative and have parent-teacher conferences on Zoom, people were telling me all over the place, we got better participation than when we have parent night and ask people to come in. That's because people have jobs that operate at six o'clock at night. You have parents that is single parent households, all of this. I don't have time to come to you on your turf, in your building between these set hours because that's comfortable for you. When you make school accessible for people, you're now becoming compatible to your community. And that's what we have to understand. It's, a, it's a, the notion of comfort versus compatibility. Your second point about higher ed not speaking to K-12, that's crazy and it happens all the time. And we're dealing with that now when you talk about how we teach certain subjects at the K-12 level and how we train teachers and what is happening at that level. How are we, when, when people talk about taking the Fort test and, and, and how that dictates whether you can teach reading, it doesn't, it's a test and it don't tell you nothing. That's just where it is. Right. But people who were not educators put that mandate in place thinking that it was going to do something. It doesn't. I don't even know if they cared if it did anything. I just think you follow the money on these tests, right? You, you follow the, the lobbyists who say, don't you the want- The testing industrial teachers? complex yeah. and Pearson are, you know, oh. hey, that's a whole different podcast. Absolutely. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying, looking at how we operate and do things, Yes, K-12, I mean, uh, higher ed has a lot to do when it talks about preparation of teachers. You know, having people, how, how often do you, you know, what is the mandate for making sure even, you know, where we went camping, we had conversations about trying to make people understand why you should take a diverse classroom placement. And we know that that was an issue. Don't you say that, that's critical race theory. <laughs> people didn't pe people didn't want to take an urban education placement, even though the school they attended was 10 miles down the road from the city of Milwaukee. You're talking about wokeism. That's so that's that's why my philosophy would be is I'd love to see two different state licenses. You can have a Wisconsin state license, which say you can teach any school district in Wisconsin, and then you can have a different license that says you can only teach where you're comfortable, which means if you didn't want any placements in in the urban areas, no problem, but you, you don't have that license then, you know, right? Because people want it all. I want a Wisconsin state license because mm -hmm. I know what it holds, 
but I don't want to get any experiences with students of color or in urban areas. Well, then we have to say, okay, if, if the universities aren't going to force that, uh, then we need to, uh, we need to give them a different license, license level B or something. Hmm. Because we're doing, it, it's happening where- We're doing a disservice. Absolutely disservice. And they're pushing the easy button. They're going, well, you know what? The school's located to the real, the university's got this other elementary school in the suburbs. And I'm sure they have a couple students that are Russian or a couple students that are Hmong, or, you know, I'm sure they have a African-American student that should count as multicultural clinical hours because the school has some representation. And that's Listen. not- what we need to do for our next group of teachers. Exactly. Even in my own district, and I have uh, parochial schools that are in my district, I asked the principal um, of Granville Lutheran. I said, how many teachers here do you have that are on a call? I think she may have had one. Yeah. Just one. So that says a lot, even within the denomination, even within dealing in the parochial system, you still have a stigma of schools that are looked at as less desirable um, for individuals who are working within the church school sector. But, but Lakeisha, let me ask you this question. And I, and, I, and I think I follow you. And I'm not gonna say but, but I'm gonna say and, that tells me she's able to interview. Oh, the principal? Yeah. Oh, she was. She had, okay, you know, okay. other. Yeah, she she had her positions filled. She was right, doing so able, what it was that she was able to do. But I'm just looking at it should be a ready made. My understanding. And this is within I know for my understanding of the Lutheran system itself and the Catholic system to a certain degree. I have understanding of that is that when you choose to work within the church. And the church is going to be your employer you can submit to, to, you know, be called to different positions. It baffled me that in urban Lutheran schools, principals had issues getting individuals to take a call. Mm. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. Yep. And even you're teaching the same curriculum. If you wanted to teach religious-based instruction, this is a perfect opportunity for you to go to an atonement or for you to go to a Milwaukee Lutheran. Yet when I go visit those schools and ask that question, principals have told me, no, we don't have that many. We get maybe one or two, which says to me, there's a disconnect even within the parochial system, even within the church system that would say, there's some diversity, equity, and inclusion work that needs to be done. Oh, absolutely. And it's, think about if you, if your whole life, I, I grow up and I don't have to with my work, my church, my grocery store, my play, my friends, neighbors, play areas, whatever it is, I have no diversity in ethnicity, politics, family values. I've never been confronted with that. And then I get to college and you start saying, I want to get confronted with that. And now I want to actually be teaching someday. It's too late for a lot of people because they're so segregated. And so uh, it's so narrow of an upbringing that you can't, it, it's so hard to change that later on. That's why you have to in the school and you have to force that um, and say, because this, is, this is what's going to be. 
But I, but Absolutely, I, because that's where most of the jobs are going to be. As we continue with this demographic shift in the country, most of our schools will be located in urban and close suburban areas. Rural schools, the population is not there. We're looking at the state level now of looking at a trajectory 10 years from now where we're going to start consolidating school districts and people in the rural areas are going to be upset. But realistically, you cannot afford to have a school when you have 200 people in the whole school. And here's what, here's what they're going to do. They're going to, before we go, the step before that is, uh, you're telling me I'm going to go because I have to get a job. So I have to go into that urban area. You know what I want to do before that? I'm going to go and teach virtual. So therefore I'll still teach them, but I don't want to enter into that community. That's yeah, so the next I know, step. I know people who do that and they still the same issues we're talking about. Oh, absolutely. I think it's, I'm, I'm saying it's a negative thing, but it's going to be that way to say, if I have to get a job, I'll do it, but don't expect me to come live, work, interact in the community, which is going to be a problem for how can you be effective then, right? But let me, let me go back to something Lakeisha says. So, like, so trying not to get in trouble for saying this. Uh-oh. So we all kind of know many people building leaders on the non-public side. Mm-hmm. And so Lakeisha, when you bring up that they're not getting getting uh, people through the call process, it's almost like a wink, wink, because they all have the desire to control who comes into their building. They all have the desire to interview and put people based on where they think they fit. Like, so they will never say it publicly. I, I, I could pull up text messages here. I know, I, Steve, I know you get those conversations. Man, I would love to interview. I would love to interview. I would love to interview. So it's like, it's a real slippery slope on that side of the conversation because they do like the fact when they can't control who comes into their building. That's all I was going to say about that. I don't know if that gets me in trouble. I probably, and and so no one, I'm not talking about your school. No, 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 yeah. But all y'all say the same thing to me. Ooh, y'all quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was saying, I mean, I get it. As a, as a building administrator, you do want to pick the person that has um, the greatest fit. I've never worked personally in um, a private school, so I've not had to experience that just talking to people that have had to deal with it. But when I think about the pipeline that exists or is supposed to exist by virtue of working in you know, a church-owned school, it would seem to me, and I would feel some kind of way, as people say, about you know kind of being othered in that right. way. Right. I think I think as an as a building administrator in that way, I would feel othered in that type of way um, by not having people want to take a call. Lakeisha, I got a question for you. This may date you, Steve. I doubt you know what this is, but if you do, God bless you, Lakeisha. Have you ever heard of a process called Adopt a City? Adopt a city, maybe. <laughs> it was the innovative thing, mid-90s, where you combine in this social studies, science, presentation, and math. I believe it's called Adopt a City and Math, and they had to do this project, and that was the innovation at the time. Yeah, it seemed familiar to me where they were doing something. It was like 
model city or something. It, something. I, I kind of, if I'm thinking of the same thing, it was. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I don't know. It just came up. I'm like, wow. Like if that, that was the standard at that time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm Absolutely. too young to remember that Eugene, but uh, <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. Well, Eugene is older than all of us. So, you know. <laughs> no, actually. <Steve laughs> That Eugene is older than all of us. I think. At least Axe older. I agree. Absolutely. What? This well, is going this off is a, the rails fast. Like, what are y'all talking about? This is a good discussion on. We really took it from four, the four day work week innovation, looking at that study and talking about what other innovations are happening and what obstacles are existing because of that. I think this is a great discussion at, at, that's going to keep coming back and back and back again for, for educators, for, for states across the country as they're going to go. How do, we, how do we do this? How do we, as we see the, the data, right, the, uh, like Keisha talked about, birth rates, immigration patterns, we're going to have to make some decisions. And then instead of, I'm always believing, instead of letting things happen to you, you have to be out front. And, and we hope that educators and, and educational leaders can, can be the ones pushing some of this out front, not just reacting to it or, or opposing the innovations. Lakeisha, do you see a scenario, not necessarily the four-day week, but do you see space now? Because sometimes you, you have to you have to lay down an ideal and just get trampled for someone else to walk through it, right? Like, do you see like someone now saying, okay, let me throw this ideal out there. And it may be totally different from the four day week proposal or, you know, conversation, but are you anticipating this to be the kickstart or are you anticipating this is a one and done, don't go down that road? Kickstarter for sure. Kickstarter for sure. Um, my knowledge of Director Carr is that she is uh, a fighter. And I think with other uh, members on the school board that, that I know they have been innovative in other areas, I would expect them to bring that to this particular position as well. Um, so this has to be a Kickstarter for where we are with the district because anything else in short order would be to the district's detriment. And this is a good reminder that we focus a lot on the public school side, but mm -hmm. like, like this is a reminder for our non-public friends, urban and suburban also, your existence could depend on creativity. Absolutely. Absolutely. It depends on creativity because you are now, we have to realize that we in education, we are, um, we, we offer products. That's what we offer. Going back to that compatibility that I kept talking about, it's no longer about comfort and what the standard is. We're talking about compatibility, compatibility for students. Some students will never go back to a traditional classroom and sit in it. They will do virtual from here on out until they graduate. And I think that's scary to some people, but it's a compatibility method that exists for students. It's an option for kids. Um, what programs you offer in your building like I tell people, dual enrollment is now the calling card for me. As I, you know, look talk about having kids and thinking about it, I want my child to be able to graduate with an associate degree because that saves me money. Yeah. And then have them have the ability to do two years after that. It saves them time. 
So, you know, when we're talking about educating our society, they want to do that faster. They want to do it for the least amount of cost because we know student debt is a big issue uh, that, that plagues people now. Um, so you want to have the ability to have a better educated society in a faster amount of time and get people on the road to whatever their vocation is quicker. We need, the, the, we need people to work in these positions because we're not replacing baby boomers at the rate at which they lived. So people are working longer. You know, you see folks not having as many children as they did at one point in time. So all of this is it's a cyclical effect and we have to do what we need to do. We have to market our schools and education programs based on the programs that we can offer to families. And even when you go into school choice circles, especially, you know, talking about to people who actively are involved in the choice movement, the underlying goal for people to have choice was so that parents could choose where their children go, what programs they want them to have. It was less about academic success. It's just the fact that they have the choice to attend that place. Sure. So when you look at that, if that's the overarching goal for parents and parental groups, as politicians, we have to be able to, excuse me, understand and answer that and then shift what we're looking for to a compatibility model for what we're looking to execute across the state. If there is no school that offers a cosmetology program and a high school program in Milwaukee Public Schools, something is wrong with it. If they have one in Reedsburg or in some other location, there, there's no reason that you should not be able to walk out of a high school as a licensed practical nurse when we have such an industry need in the state of Wisconsin. If we're talking about growing people from, you know, into teachers, you should be able to have some type of um, credential that will allow you to work in a daycare center by your sophomore year in high school. And then when you finish your associate degree in 12th grade, you go into a teacher education program as an advanced study student. This is the type of innovation that I'm talking about when you talk about growing your vocational demographic. If you need people to work. So we have to have to do better at reimagining what we offer in schools, the level to which we offer it, and getting folks trained to offer those positions. There's, you should have active partnerships with MATC Milwaukee and MATC Madison, Waukesha Technical College, all, the, all of those places, because they're a big part of that. Again, making sure that higher ed is working in a continuum with the K-12 system, at least at that level for the first two years. That makes perfect sense. And if you re, if you reimagine it and redefine it and do it, you're going to force people to uh, to be part of it because they're going to see if I'm not part of it again, I'm not relevant. Absolutely. So that, that's either. what makes people come to the table. I, I always believe roll that over or get rolled force. on. That's where we are. Because <laughs> if you say everybody needs to do it, then what happens is they all collectively move together and I rather have someone say, here's what we're doing. We're doing great things for all students. You want to be a part of it? If not, we got 20 other people behind you. Yeah. So I, I think that's really where we're at in education because we're, we, we still, people still haven't really embraced what a disruption COVID has been to education. We're in this monumental disruption in our lifetime and we're still coming, we're coming out of it. And now we really have to think, 
again, how, what does that mean for us as educators? What does that mean for our country? And the people that can do that quicker and, and reimagine some things and move, uh, they're going to be the ones, the students are going to be the winners in that. So, Absolutely. So, Lakeisha, I'm winding down. I got a comment and a comment. First comment is, um, I just checked my phone, and the Los Angeles Lakers are losing by 23 at oh halftime. That's, that's not good. At halftime. But the other one, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. I just want to see what you do. Okay. So I'm sitting here listening to you like, dang, I can't believe I know Lakeisha. Like, she, she kind of important. She knows, <laughs> she knows okay. stuff. Like, she's connecting these dots. And it makes sense. So when you going to run for mayor? Never. <laughs> mayor of the city of Milwaukee? I don't see that in my future. I don't believe it's a part of my ministry at all. <laughs> That's not good. From your mouth to God's ear. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Superintendent. Earning my license, all I can say. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, okay, Lakeisha. So you're saying you're saying no to these things. Daycare van driver. No, I don't think I want to do that. I don't like noise. <laughs> but I, you know, everything is on the table. Um, I think with me, I am a person that I try to uh, have a plan, but allow for fluidity. So I will never say no. Um, if I think a situation is right and, and that I would be the right fit for, uh, you know, a job, a position, I will apply for sure. I have no problem doing that. Um, whenever I can offer my ideas and, you know, to solicited or unsolicited advice, I'll give it anyway um, to people who are serving in those capacities. But for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just saying, it's a lot of people like this mayoral race down the two. That one's down the road for a while, though. There, it's between two now until the next two years. How many years? Two. Two. Okay. Yeah. Well, we thank you, uh, Lakeisha Myers, be part of this show again. Definitely a fan favorite. Your knowledge, your expertise, definitely uh, will have you back to continue to share and, and educate our audience and, and Eugene, he needs it constantly. So that's <laughs> wonderful. You can add that as well. Steve, you got to close us out. What, 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 uh, we got to give Lakeisha some time to get her information out there to the people. Sure. I, I want to close out with, with reminding the audience about superhero educator, how to teach with superior skills and success, a book that not only teachers, teachers are reading it, a lot of teachers, but it really goes for any, anybody that wants to lead and, and learn more about education and what's necessary. And even having that teacher's heart. So whatever occupation you have, it gives you concepts to, uh, to teach whatever profession you're in. So if you're doing wealth management, if you're working fast food, you're still leading and influencing others and teaching others. So that book that Eugene and I co-authored, I always feel that's a good one to uh, let people know about. Wonderful. I am going to go next. I just want to give a shout out to all the educators out there. It's been one heck of a school year with many ups and downs, but like 
teachers, you all make the difference. You all make the difference. So keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing. And, you know, we don't say how much we value teachers enough. Yes. So I want to make sure that you know that you are valued. And I'm speaking for Steve and Makisha. We, we appreciate everything that you all do. All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. We value educators. So please keep doing what you're doing. Know that you are loved and that we appreciate everything that you do in the classroom and outside of it. Um, I would say if, if you need to contact me, have questions, comments, concerns, I can be reached at 608-266-5813. Once again, 608-266-5813 and via email at reprep.myers, M-Y-E-R-S at legis, L-E-G-I-S dot Wisconsin, spelled all the way out, uh, uh, dot G-O-V. So there's my email address. Um, so once again, rep.myers at legis.wisconsin.gov. And I welcome questions, comments, concerns, um, opportunities to talk to the public about things that are going on education. And I always tell people, if you want to make a difference, become an educator and we can help you, you know, change your life and help change students' lives. We need more people to join the, the occupation, to take up the veil and, and, and come in with us. Agree. Totally, totally, totally agree. And, and thank you, Lakeisha. Um, usually we don't uh, go over time or uh, usually there's not a request to have a person go back to back. So we appreciate <laughs> you for two shows with us. Um, um, but these are two topics that uh, we feel that, hey, people got to be informed. You got to yes. have an opinion and you got to get in the game one way or the other. And so even if you don't like nothing we said, get in the game on the other side. If you like what we said, get in the game on that side. Like just, but you got to get active. So, That's right. So educators so we, are activists. So we have to do that. You got to be, you don't have a choice to be. Yep. Yep. So, so on that note, we're going to close everything out. That's Lakeisha Myers. That's Dr. Steve Garner. And I'm Eugene Pitchford. We will see you all next week. Thanks again for listening to our Superhero Education Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and key concepts to battle the chaos and save the day for all students. Boldly transform lives and be a superhero educator.